0: have been a member here in a long time, but I've visited here enough to know we don't get out at 1030. I've sat through enough sermons going to, well, just past 1030. I'm not going to throw shade on the preacher here. My, <laughs> my uncle, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Um, I, I know the deal here. So um, I'm really thankful to, to be here this week. I know I expressed that during our Bible class hour, but I, I'm going to do that every time I get up here and just say thank you. One thing I didn't focus on that uh, or didn't mention uh, in the Bible class hour, is I'm also excited for this group because you have got one of my friends, Dustin Merkel, coming to work with this group. And I'm just really excited for him. I'm excited for you guys. Um, talked to him quite a bit about it and um, didn't say anything negative, uh, trust me. Um, and I have nothing negative to say about him. I mean, he's, he's just really great. He's humble, he's a worker, and uh, he, he's, he's a very effective teacher, but he's just really caring and He's, a, he's just a real guy, and so I think that's why I like him. Also, he loves the Braves, so that's probably also why I like him a lot. Uh, but he, he, I'm just really excited for him and for you guys. Um, can't wait to, to come back when I come visit and actually see him. I uh, hardly ever see him in Atlanta because we don't go to the same church. I told him that I think I'll actually see him more when I come visit than I do now on a you know day-in and day-out basis. I never see him now. Uh, his schedules are kind of crazy, and my schedule is kind of crazy, but... Anyway, I just want to say that I'm really excited for you guys. That's I know answer prayers for y'all. That's answer prayers for him and his family. Um, and there's a lot of people that have been praying, uh, knowing that that was a consideration. So I'm excited about that. Um, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Acts 18, you can go ahead and do that. That's where we're going to start. We're going to start looking at Paul's first, uh, excuse me, third missionary journey. While you're turning over there, I do want to put on the screen some verses from Luke chapter one. So if you're someone that doesn't like to look on the screen to read and you want to turn to Luke 1, you can do that. If not, go ahead and mark your Bibles in Acts 18. We're going to start in a second in Acts 18, but first just, I want you to notice these verses. So Luke is starting his gospel, and he says in verse 1, "...inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught." So from what I gather from what Luke is saying is, I know there's other gospels, and I know there's like several people that have written things down and recorded the life of Jesus and the teachings that that have been passed down to us, but it actually seemed good to me to write down an orderly account, I'm not going to be like Matthew over there. He just goes here, there, and everywhere. I'm not going to be like John getting really deep in theology. I'm just going to write an orderly account of, of the life of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus. Um, but he doesn't say that. was my commentary about he doesn't disparage Matthew or John. But I'm just saying like he he clearly sets his gospel apart. Like I'm going to write an orderly account. But the interesting thing to me is who he's writing to is this person named Theophilus. Some people think it might not be an actual person but a type of people but um, we can, I think it's fair just to assume it's a person. He also writes, that, uh, writes to the same person, he writes acts to the same person. And Theophilus, is his name actually means a lover of God. This is not some newbie, this is not someone that doesn't know Christ, this is not someone that doesn't know God, this is a lover of God. I think it's fair to assume this person is a Christian, is a disciple, is a believer, is a follower, and yet he says he's writing to him that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. You know, for those of us that are Christians here today, no matter how long you've been a believer, no matter how long you've been following Christ, um, we need reminders and we need to build up our understanding so we can have certainty the things that we've been taught. Our foundation of our faith is not based on feelings, although we have feelings. Um, It's not based on just what other people how they've lived their lives, it's based on knowledge and based on truth. And I think what Luke is saying to Theophilus, this lover of God, is that I just want you to know for certain the things you've been taught. And I want you to be built up in your faith. As disciples today, we need to be built up in our faith. We need to grow in knowledge. We're not done learning. If you think that you've learned all that there is, then you don't know the, the relationship that you have, you have accepted with Christ, which is that you are continuing to learn of him. He invites people to come learn of me. And it seems like that's an ongoing thing. Come learn of me, take my yoke upon you. That kind of thing. This is an ongoing process. So for us, we are committed to growing in knowledge as disciples. So that's what we're going to talk about for this morning's, uh, this morning's lesson. Tonight we're going to talk a little bit more about what it means to follow him. That's, the, that's another way of thinking about a disciple as a follower. But the first one we're going to look at is being a learner. So to do that, we're going to go to Acts 18. And we're going to look at this example of Apollos down in verse number 24. We're going to look at what happens with Apollos. And we're going to see some things we can bring out about his life. Some good examples from him. And then we're going to read the beginning of chapter 19 where Paul comes to Ephesus and starts teaching the disciples there. So let's go ahead and start in Acts 18. Let's begin in verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. I mean, if this guy was coming for a meeting, besides that last part about only knowing the baptism of John, if this, if this guy was here for a gospel meeting this week, y'all would be like really amped up. Like, oh wow, look at this guy. He's competent in scriptures, he's eloquent, he's been instructed in the way of the Lord, he's fervent in spirit. Let's tell our friends about this guy, right? I mean, th- this is an ideal type of preacher and teacher. But there's that last little bit. He only knew the baptism of John. So he begins to preach boldly, or to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. When he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by scriptures that the Christ was Jesus." We'll talk about the example of Apollos just to begin, because I think this really sets the, a pattern for us, how we ought to be. We don't want to be wrong, but the reality is we are wrong on some things. So how do we handle that when we're wrong? What are, what are the things we should do when we realize we're wrong on something? Apollos gives us a great example of that. First thing I think we see is that he's zealous for God. That is an attribute that all of us should have. We should be zealous for God. Our zeal, our, our spirit should be stirred up to be fervent in spirit. Um, I think that there's probably, uh, most of us fit into two basic categories as believers. We have a lot of zeal and a lot of energy, and maybe we just don't know a a whole lot, or we're not not yet, um, we have not elevated our understanding and knowledge to the degree that we would like. Or we are people who, we know a lot about scripture. I mean, we can quote so much. But, but our energy and our, our spirit, our zeal, is, is just not what we would like it to be. That probably is true for, for most of us. Maybe you're an exception and you've got, it both, got both of them. Hopefully you're not the other exception where you have neither of those. Uh, but, but most of us fall into one category or the other. We have a lot of zeal, or we've got a lot of knowledge. Well, Paul kind of has both, doesn't he? He's zealous for God, but it says in verse 24, he had great knowledge. He was dedicated enough to what he knew to teach. That's a great example for us. But what it does say is that he was also devoted to teaching and using the gifts that he had. So the way that Luke describes Apollos is is just a really complimentary way. But there's this one thing that Apollos also has that is another good example that maybe we struggle with and that's that he was accepting of being taught more. Not just being taught more as in I want to impress other people with my knowledge, but truly, like, I don't know everything. So, so, yes, teach me. This married couple, Priscilla and Aquila, like, who are they that they should pull this great preacher aside and correct him? Well, they're people that have knowledge. They're people that know something that he doesn't know, so they simply pull him aside and they correct him. They say, hey, the, you only are teaching the baptism of John. You're not, you're not teaching and preaching about the baptism into Jesus and that needs to be different. Aquila and Priscilla aren't in a grand position of authority. You go back to the beginning of chapter 18 and we're, we're introduced to Priscilla and Aquila and what we know about them if you look in verses 1-4 through four, is that they were very helpful, that they're uh, companions with Paul. They're also tent makers just like uh, Paul. And then you go a little bit further in verses 18 and 19 and it seems like they're they're very helpful in his work and in the spread of the gospel but but who are they to pull Apollos aside? Well again I just want to reiterate, there are people that know something that he doesn't know. So they lovingly pull him aside and they correct him. This is is a good example for us. Whether you're an Apollos or you're a Priscilla or Aquila, um, this is a really good example for us. If, If you're someone that you hear someone say something, you hear me say something, you hear someone say something, maybe a new Christian, a babe in Christ, they say something in a Bible class and you're just like, no, that's off. Treat it like Aquila and Priscilla. Pull, pull that person aside lovingly. Just, just say, "Hey, I just want to make sure you know this," and then, and then kind of go on your way. <laughs> or if we're in the position of Paulus, where someone does that to us, you feel that kind of pride stir up. You're like, "Oh yeah, well, um, I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's true. You know, I have to, I'm gonna have to look at that more and." I just don't know. I don't know if I buy it. You know, it's like, no, hey, if you're shown something that is true that you didn't know, it sounds easier than it really is, but just accept it. That's what, that's what Apollos does here. But you notice what he goes on to do. He continues to work after being corrected. I think that's what stands out to me most about Apollos is number one, his humility of being willing to be taught after he's already taught so many people. And the second thing is that after he was corrected, he didn't go mope. He didn't just like, I don't know, like pack up his bags and say, well, I'm just going to go home. Like, I don't know anything. No, he, he, he went after it some more. I mean, you, you notice what we read there in verses 27 through 28. He wished across cross to Achaia. Brothers encouraged him. He wrote to the disciples to welcome him. He greatly helped those who through grace had believed. He's not just teaching people that don't know anything. He's continuing to teach and encourage people that actually do have knowledge. I think this is exactly what we need to be. We need to be people that are like Apollos, that are willing to share what we know. We're willing to be vulnerable enough to be corrected and humble enough to take that correction and to actually accept it. We need to be people that are willing to, after that correction, just get back to work. Because we're so zealous that even though we... our pride took a shot, it's not going to stop us in our service. But that's not how all of us are. It's hard to be like this. But this is the first example that that I want to bring out is Apollos is just a great example for us. We need to be like him. We need to be like Aquila and Priscilla. The interesting thing here in Acts 18 and 19 is that, so he has been in Corinth. um, Excuse me, I always get this backwards with him and Paul. It gets confusing how they swap places sometimes. He's been in Ephesus, It seems like Paul has been in Corinth. If you go back to uh, the beginning of chapter 18, now it seems like they kind of swap places. Okay, Uh, so we start in verse 19. uh, Excuse me, uh, in chapter 19, verse 1. It happened while Apollos was at Corinth. Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. All right, so Apollos has left Ephesus. He's been corrected, but he did a lot of good work there at Ephesus. But now Paul comes to town. It says in verse 1, he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. I don't think that means that they had not heard of the existence of the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's what they mean, but I take that to mean they didn't, had not heard that the Holy Spirit was something to be received. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. i pause right there real quick just to say, I think that Acts 19 is a really good point if you're talking with someone and they just don't see this connection of of, of baptism and salvation. Would you want the Holy Spirit? What does Paul say? What were you baptized into, right? You need to be baptized into Jesus to receive his spirit. That's what it says. Paul says, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. So he's not... Totally disregarding John's baptism. What he is, is he's he's saying John's baptism was here. But even John understood and proclaimed that the one that would come after him was going to be greater. You need to be baptized into the one that came after him, into Jesus. That's who you need to be baptized into. Verse 5, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. They began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. I think that this example that we saw in Apollos also carries through to the people in Ephesus. And I I don't think it should be a surprise if Apollos is the one that taught them and maybe he had that humility that he was willing to be corrected. It seemed like he passed that on because the very people he taught are now willing to be corrected. And they simply do the thing that Paul said they needed to do. And then they keep going. They keep living their life as a disciple. It's really hard to be corrected, like I've already said. It's really hard to admit that we don't know everything. But that's the example given to us that if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, that's what it's going to take. So, what I want to do is, I want to bring out about five points from this text and maybe look at a couple other texts about what it means to grow in knowledge as disciples and being committed to growing in knowledge. And then I think, I think it'll be helpful for us, and then um, we'll be able to be encouraged to continue pursuing knowledge, to grow in our understanding of the gospel and of Christ. So the first point that I think is important is, disciples of Jesus already know that they don't know everything. That sounds really basic, but it's just true. If you, if you have committed yourself to being a disciple of Jesus, you already know you don't know everything. And if you think that's not true, then I would challenge if you're truly a disciple of Jesus. Because at this basic form, a disciple is a learner. A disciple is a pupil, a student. One that is signing up to be in a relationship with Christ where they are learning and following his pattern. These disciples are taught by Apollos. Apollos was corrected, they're corrected, and they just kind of keep going. What we need to understand is that if if we think it matters who taught us, then we're wrong. If these people were so committed to Apollos that they said, hang on Paul, no. You must be wrong because we were taught by Apollos, okay, and he's something. Well then, I don't think that they would be called disciples here in Acts 19. This is a little confusing why they're called disciples. I'll give you my opinion and you can throw it out, and that's totally fine. Um, I they could either, A, be a disciple of someone and not truly a disciple of Jesus, and that's why they're called a disciple in verse 1. Maybe they're just a disciple of John, but he doesn't say that. He just says he found some disciples. Okay, so maybe they're disciples of John, and that's what Luke means. But more than anything, I think that maybe they are called disciples of Jesus. They just weren't fully taught yet, okay? Um, we, we equate disciple with saved because that seems to be how it how it's talked about in Acts sometimes. But remember, a disciple is not someone that has already arrived. A disciple is not someone that has been necessarily fully taught. A disciple is someone that has signed up to continue to learn. They haven't been taught. They were lacking in the knowledge. Paul fills in the, the, what is lacking. And then they prove to be disciples by taking that correction, taking that knowledge, and actually adhering to it. Is that us? Are we... W- <laughs> Are we willing, someone said yes. <laughs> Are we willing to be corrected and taught? I mean, we say yes, but it's kind of like in theory, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to be corrected. Um, I had that happen recently, and I'm not gonna lie, it was, it was hard, and, I, and the person did exactly what I asked, which was, if you disagree, please tell me. And then they did, and I was like, why they do that? You know, <laughs> that, was, that was really hard. Look, I mean, we, we need to have a sense of humility where it's okay. It's okay for us to be wrong. It's okay for, for any of us to not know something. And, as, and, and now the person that's coming to us to, to help us, obviously we don't want them to come in with like a high and mighty and haughty you know, attitude or anything. But regardless of how they approach us, if they are truly bringing some knowledge to us that we don't have, okay, thank you. I I thank you for bringing that to me. That that needs to be our attitude. Because one of the hardest things for us to to actually live out is to be corrected. So true disciples respond to correction well. It's my opinion that if these people, these 12 men in Acts 19, had heard Paul and said, No, you must be wrong. That that can't be right because Apollos taught us, Who do you think you are? And turned away, Luke would never have called them disciples. But because they did respond well, because they took the correction, and they were baptized, they proved themselves to be disciples. They live it out. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 3 real quick. There's a few verses here that I think are helpful. I alluded to this a second ago, but let's just read 1 Corinthians 3, beginning in verse 5. It's also interesting if you think that Paul was in Corinth at the end of his second journey. Now towards the beginning of his third journey, he's in Ephesus. Apollos was in Ephesus and now is in Corinth. And now look what Paul writes to the Corinthians. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. It almost sounds like Paul is boasting, but then you see the next thing he says, and it's pretty clear he's not. Someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So the real question for us is, is Jesus Christ my foundation? Doesn't matter who taught me, doesn't matter how I was taught, doesn't matter how long it took for me to be taught, doesn't matter what, what uh, gaps are in my knowledge. If the foundation that I have is Christ, then I'm willing to be corrected, I'm willing to be taught, and I don't care if you have a good reputation and everyone knows your name or not. That's what it takes to be a disciple. We need to be humble. We need to be humble enough to where, just like when that man asked Jesus, um, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus lists out, and this is in Mark chapter 10, that Jesus lists out, you know, you do this and this and this, and he says, yeah, I've done all of that from my youth. Jesus looks at him lovingly says, one thing you lack. We need to be the type of people that when someone says, hey, you lack one thing, that we'll be willing to take that and not turn away like that rich young man. He turned away sorrowful, for he had many possessions. He wasn't willing to take that correction. We need to be people that will take that correction. It's worth it to correct and it's worth it to be corrected. There's pain and it can, can hurt but it's temporary. We need to have true humility and true zeal for God or we just want to be right with Him. We just want to continue following Him. So what that means is we need to have zeal and knowledge together. But zeal and knowledge need to be put into one. And Let's go to Romans 10. We'll look at a passage in Romans 10, the first couple of verses. Romans 10, one says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them. So he's talking about Israel. He's talking about Jews that have rejected, I think. He says, My heart's desire and prayer for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Is that us? like I said earlier, I, I think that we fall into one of two categories. Either we have knowledge and we lack in zeal sometimes, or we have zeal and we lack in knowledge sometimes. And, and again, I'm not saying that's all of us, but I see that in myself. Um, and sometimes it wanes and zeal goes down, knowledge, I don't, it, it, it's, it's rarely like I feel like I've I got, got both at the top, right? But we need to have zeal and knowledge. You know, it's, it's really a sad thing when zeal is looked down on because someone doesn't know as much as someone else. So much zeal, so much energy and fire, and yet it's kind of quenched because, well, but you don't really know a lot. Maybe what we need is we need to rub off on each other a little bit. Maybe those that have knowledge need to help the people that don't have as much knowledge, and the people with the zeal need to rub off on the people that are lacking a little bit in zeal. I'll tell you, it, it seems to me that it either swings one way or the other. And there needs to be a good blend. Um, but when we do that, it's not just that we will be okay. It's that God's word will just prevail. It will grow. It will spread. That's exactly what happens here. That's exactly what happens in Corinth, and that's what happens in Ephesus. And I think it's because they, they had this combo of so zealous and yet so willing to be taught. That's what we need. We need that knowledge and we need that zeal because what knowledge does for us is it helps us to see what God wants us to do more clearly. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, the very place that Paul is in Acts 19, Ephesus. Now he writes this letter. In Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 8 is where Paul basically lays it out. It says you were dead in sin. You were dead in how you once walked. But now, through Christ, you're made alive. Let's look at verse number four. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So then in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Who is God wanting to show that to? It seems like he's showing it, he's bestowing this greatness on those that are his, on, on believers, on disciples. But it seems like he's like showing it off. And so who who is who is he wanting to influence by this? For by grace you have been saved through faith, this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. I think when we have this zeal because we realize that we are saved by grace through faith, that God has brought us out of the pit of despair, and allowed us to seat uh, with him in glory in the heavenly places. We have that zeal and that passion, and then we combine it with this knowledge of, what are the works that God has planned for us? What what are the works that that he's laid out that he wants us to do? We combine that, then what God is doing is he's showing off to all those that don't know him. Look at how great God is. Through our good works, not that we may boast, but that God may be glorified. That's what will be the, the fruit from our good works. So, so first we have to have this zeal, we need to have this knowledge. Knowledge helps us see, what does God want from me? It helps us to know who he is, but also helps us to see, what does he want for, from me? What am I supposed to be doing? And when we have that, then other people see that. And God truly is glorified. So if you want a good motivation to study your Bible, maybe get back on that reading plan that you accidentally forgot about a couple weeks ago, Um, that you were going to do throughout all of 2023. If you want good motivation for that, it's not just to keep the checks going on your calendar, although that, that might be good motivation for you. Really, good motivation needs to be, if you get in his word, it helps you see how you can produce more fruit. It helps you see how you can glorify him more. The more you learn, the more you should see what God has done. And also the more you'll see that he wants you to do. You can know and walk in God's ways with confidence when you continue to progress in knowledge. That's one of the dangers of not growing in knowledge, is at some point our confidence starts being shaken because our confidence isn't built up on a strong foundation. We could say that it's built on Christ, but we're not adding knowledge and we're not growing in knowledge. Something's gonna happen. Someone's going to do something You're going to go through a hard time in life, and then your confidence is going to waver a little bit. The more we grow in knowledge, the more our confidence just grows and grows. It's actually interesting that isn't that what Peter says we need to be doing? What do we need to add to our faith? We add virtue. What do we add to the virtue? Knowledge, right? So this is what we need to be doing as disciples. The last thing that I want to point out from this text, let's go back to Acts 19. Acts 19, where we were just reading. I just want to reread this real quick. So, verse 2, Paul says, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No. We've not heard that there's a Holy Spirit. He says, Well, what were you baptized into? They say, John's baptism. He says, Well, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come. That's Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. It was like immediate, it was right there on the spot. You know what, disciples do is we obey with urgency, we don't delay. Um, my experience tells us that, tells me that we do delay, though. <laughs> well, let me think about it, Paul. Hold on, let's talk this out. Maybe you misunderstand something, Paul. No, 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 you don't understand. No, we actually did go in water, okay? So we got it, we're good. There, There was no back and forth any further. They were convinced. They were convinced that this was the right thing to do. On hearing this, they were baptized. Is there something that you know you need to do? We sing a song saying, why do you wait? <laughs> um, why do you wait? i want to tell a quick example um, of, of a guy that uh, was converted, not quite a year and a half ago, I think, but it was somewhere around a year and a half ago. He was dating someone who was a Christian. She was very helpful and influential in his life. Um, he was coming to church all the time. He was like part of our family, without being in Christ, so he wasn't really part of our family yet. And it was, it was kind of confusing why he won't, because he was such a good guy. It seemed like he understood. Something was just missing, and, and so a few people uh, talked to him. And, and you know one thing that really kind of was messing, messing him up a little bit, stopping him from actually taking that step and becoming a Christian? He kept saying, I don't think I know enough yet. I just don't think I know enough. Um, well, I know I've been saying we need to grow in knowledge, so we need to increase and have more knowledge. But, you know, sometimes we use, not, we use lack of knowledge as an excuse to do the very thing we know we need to do. Because it's not about knowing just that I need to do this thing. It's like, well, but what about what's down the line? It's like, no, just handle this thing. Let me give you a few examples. You know you should stop lying to your spouse. We'll just stop it. You know you need to reach out to someone and ask for forgiveness. We'll just do that thing. You know you need to make a big life change. You you can't keep doing the job you're doing. Okay, but what about this and that and this and that? Well, do the next right thing. If you have grown in knowledge to the point where you know you ought to do something and take action, well, then do that. But do it with urgency. Because that's what being a disciple really looks like. These examples of these people is great for us. You wanna know what happens the longer you take uh, to actually act? The longer you take, your zeal goes away. You're not as convinced, you're not as on fire to do the thing that you said you ought to do. If you're here and you that applies to you, then turn it around, act with urgency. If you need to become a Christian, this group of Christians is here to help you today. If you need to be baptized into Christ, you need to do that. And it's not about what happens next. Let your zeal be combined with your knowledge to produce obedience and fruit. Whatever your needs are, if you have a spiritual need, whether it's prayers, whether it's to repent, whether it's to be baptized, let us know as we stand and as we sing.